Bored of binging on box sets? Try something new. Try Chumba Casino. Over a million players love playing our fun casino-style games every single day. You'll find hundreds of games to choose from and some amazing prizes, too. Join the Chumba fun. Head over to ChumbaCasino.com where you can always play for free. That's Chumba, C-H-U-M-B-A, Casino.com. Play for free. Play for fun. Play now. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Stephen Hyden, author of Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock, and you are listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Is there a library, a bookstore around here where I can get books on rock and roll? Rock and roll. Story's true. This is a story that needs to be told. These rock and rollers want something to read. Hey everybody, it is another edition of the Rock and Roll Librarian. Shelley Sorensen is with me. Yes, I'm Christian Swain, the minor rock and roll archaeologist. Because it's really, the show's about her, because she's the famous one. Because she just recently got interviewed by uh, Jesse from Set Lusting Bruce. Um, so, geez, let's talk about that. What's it like to be famous and all, Shelley? <laughs> Well, you should know. You're the famous one. Oh, no, yeah. it was fun. It was really fun to. Uh, I, w- I was asked by Jesse Jackson, who has a podcast about Spring- Bruce Springsteen, to um, talk to him about Bruce's autobiography. We talked about other stuff too, but it was very special to be interviewed. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, I get to talk about myself. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Well, yeah. you talked about me too, but I uh, did in in glowing in glowing ways. Of I, I appreciate it, and <laughs> and of course, you know the network and what we're doing and and everything. So uh, you know, we we certainly thank you for that. But it it did sound like a, a great time uh, that you guys had. It so we want to thank we want to thank Jesse Jackson um, uh, of Set Lusting Bruce. Uh, for uh, taking the time to sit and talk to you about uh, that, what you've been doing. So yeah, that was really nice of him to do that. All right, all right. So uh, things going good? Yep. Oh, I got. Good. I went to a training to as the uh, zero waste coordinator of my work site today. That oh, was the pretty... official librarian portion, right? Yes, my paid right. my paid gig. Right. Yeah. Right. So I learned about recycling in San Francisco. Oh, uh, the, the I'm, current I'm rules. I endless, mean, I'm sure endlessly fascinated yeah, by it. Yeah. Not not everybody I, is. I don't, I don't think our audience is, but no. we won't go deep. Uh, but okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Everything else good. Yeah, everything's fine. Oh, everything's good. just fine. Peachy, peachy. Yeah. All peachy. right. Uh, so what uh, what do we have on store today? Although I, I think we've already given away the store. Yes. Well, since I read the book. <laughs> um, what book? <laughs> about Bruce Springsteen <laughs> right. that he wrote himself, right. his autobiography, which is called Born to Run. Uh-huh. And it was a very fun, great read i kind of you know it was published in i think 2016 but um but it took me this long to read it i was happy to do so well it didn't take you two years to read it no it took me two years to decide to read it okay there okay. you go okay because i mean <laughs> the way it sounded it's like well i've been working on it since 2016 yeah <laughs> Oof, came yeah. up rare I'm, a, uh, I'm not a real fast reader but i'm better no, than not that, that. yeah, let's yeah. Hope. you are a librarian yeah uh, so. in fact i read it uh three different ways 
all from the public library. I read the ebook. I read the I listened to the e audio book and I finally got a physical copy of the book because it was taking me so long to get to the end. I kept uh using all of my uh renewals. So, um yeah, I'm a poster child for using the public library. All right. Well, uh, let's get going. Let's get into it. Um, Jeez, yeah. gosh, we've got to start with a song. Hmm, what song should we start with? Oh, I don't know. How about this one? Okay, uh, probably, I don't think I'm too far uh, from most people to say that may be the single greatest rock song ever written. Uh, It has all the elements, Um, you know, the wall of sound production, cars, girls, freedom, sax solo, guitar (laughs) solo, Mm -hmm. it's giant, it's intimate, it... It's fucking everything. Yeah. And when you hear those first bars, Ugh. you're just like... Your heart no, races. You know what's going to happen. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's great. And I'll be honest. Hey, look, you know, I, I was not a big Bruce fan when I was a kid. I had to be dragged into it by our friend uh, of uh, uh, and writer here, uh, Richard <laughs> Evans. Uh, he literally bought me a ticket and said, we're going to see Bruce Springsteen and you're just going to have to deal with it. And I was like, eh, Bruce Springsteen, whatever. Uh, but... Hey, I, I went Halloween night, 1980. Guy played for like five and a half hours oh, with I a mean, half hour break. Yeah, it was incredible. like you were, you are. I, I it, it was astounding. Uh, and um, you know, I walked away uh, quite a fan. Yeah, he's got to be one of the best live performers. I Church think. of Bruce, man. Church of Bruce. Yeah. Uh, I mean, jeez, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it is. If, if if rock and roll is your religion, man, there's 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 nothing better. Oh yeah, the way he he you know gathers an audience and and wows them and you know works them and everything is amazing. Right. Yeah. And of course, he was born out of the womb, fully formed, with <laughs> guitar in hand, slick back hair, leather jacket, and the working man's attitude. Well, Already he, <laughs> in, in, in his soul, right? Yeah. Well, I think he was born with the working man's attitude, but I don't know. The rest of the stuff, no. He he struggled with his, his frizzy, his, uh, his Italian fro and his uh, pimples and stuff like that. So just like the rest of the boys in this country. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So uh, obviously uh, this this story starts in New Jersey, I would yes. assume. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Our tell boy us, was uh, uh, he was born in uh, 1950 in Freehold, New Jersey, uh-huh. and I, one of the parts I really like about the book is that he, like Elvis Costello, goes back into his family background, which is interesting because um, one half of his family is Italian, that's his mother's side, and one half is Irish. And um, apparently this was I think that uh, gets him uh, uh, instant entry into Catholic heaven, right? That's right. And they all the houses of, you know, his Irish and 
Italian uh, family members were, you know, not all of them, but, you know, gathered around the Catholic Church, the Catholic school, you know, everything took part, uh, everything kind of revolved around Catholicism, mm-hmm. like you said. Um, <laughs> With that Italian and, and Irish? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he goes on yeah. a lot about the three Zerilli sisters, which his mother was one of them, and how strong and vibrant they were, and how they all married Irish men. Oh, really? And, all yeah, three of them married Irish And, and one of his aunts said, it was because the Italian men were too bossy and they wanted to be, you know, in control. They were in charge, yeah. large and in charge, right? And then apparently the Irish and the Italians, you know, uh, moved in the same kind of work and uh, circles too. So it wasn't just the church, it was the factories and um, yeah. farming. Yeah. Um, and his, his uh, dad's family was the Irish family. And, you know, his dad is the one that he kind of writes most about. He has a very you know, more simple relationship with his mother because he, he greatly admires her and she was loving and strong and, you know, kept the family together. And yeah, his family... the, the, the problems were with the, the dad, yeah. like most of us boys end up having, uh, you know, it's the... You know, dad wants you to be, especially that generation, you know, there was the expectation of you being this certain way. And, yeah. and uh, you know, the world had changed uh, quite uh, dramatically. And, uh, the, you know, that's created the generation gap. And let's face it, born in 1950. Um, he was you know, right in the middle. It's right in the middle of it. Yeah, there are a lot right of parallels perfect. between him and Tom Petty in yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. they both had these fathers that... You know, we're just kind of thought the macho uh, man kind of, uh, you know, yeah, well, symbolism. Yeah, well, they, they, they was... grew up with the, with the you know, the Depression and the, the World War II generation. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's where, you know, you, that that was the expectation of what you had to be. And, and maybe that was kind of the way most men were, um, you know, up until, um, you know, the, the latter half of the 20th century. Yeah. And any kind of, you know, uh, show of... Uh, softness softness or vulnerability or artistic talent which oh, in the case yeah. of those of all the young men i'm reading about that was what they were into was yeah. their art you mm-hmm. know and mm-hmm. and um and that was just not seen so he you know bruce the other complicating factor and there were a few with his dad was his dad was prone to mental illness which he found out more about later what, and also what kind of mental and like depression depression okay. and anxiety yeah. uh-huh. and you know bruce of very course, common didn't. in fact those of us who do not suffer from uh some form of mental illness are actually the minority in this it country seems to be that way it's yeah. weird uh yeah. it's it's sad which tells me that uh, maybe modern life is uh making us this way uh, yeah. maybe yeah um yeah you know of course bruce didn't know his father had this Mm. issue he just felt no. the the kind of his father rejecting him and pushing him away and um and also his 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 father's younger sister had died as a child and and his grandmother was very overprotective and and you know anxious and nervous and 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 basically put that on Bruce too and she put everything like all her hopes and dreams on Bruce which he feels like his father was kind of jealous of because that was his father's own mother mm-hmm. so you know doesn't there he was, have a song called hopes and dreams uh yeah hopes and dreams <laughs> that's right land of yes um then of course you know um like the other boys of and girls too of that 
of that generation. You know, Elvis hits the scene and as uh, in Bruce's own way, and this is the way he writes yeah, the from, whole book. From black and white to color. Yeah, the, out the, of the, the darkness yeah, and dullness the, the of working class overnight. life with authority and rules, a human atom split the universe in two. <laughs> That's Bruce's line. And, you know, and Bruce was only seven, but his mother very nicely took him out to rent a guitar, you know, shortly after the Ed's, um, the seeing Elvis uh, Yeah, on Elvis TV. on Ed Sullivan, right, yeah. right. And, uh, Along but, with 50 million other Americans. Yeah. Quickly after, you know, about a week, um, uh, Bruce realized that he hated guitar lessons. He sounded horrible. And so they returned the guitar. So that, you know, was just oh. like a, a kind of a brief... And that's the end of the story. Yep. Close then, the book. Yep. We're done. Okay. It was nice talking <laughs> to you. <laughs> no, that's not the end of the story because more things got under his skin because, like... He listened to the radio a lot. They drove in the car and listened to the radio. And then, of course, the Beatles hit. And um, Another Ed Sullivan. Yes, and Bruce was just... Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I can do that. Yes, that's right. That's that was Tom Petty's thought, but oh, I think Bruce thought guys. it too. So the people He's I like, talked to, yeah, his, that, that uh, he had this fantasy yeah. of his his curly hair was straight, his acne was gone, and he had on the high heeled beetle boots, you know, mm-hmm. singing in front of all the girls and everything, and um, and actually he was quite popular with the girls and not so much the boys because he was, you know, coddled by his grandmother, um, and he loved dancing. Yeah, he loved dancing, and so the girls loved that too. He had to put put up with some teasing oh. by the boys. Ah, oh, so he, he probably was born some natural rhythm. That's I think good. so. Yeah, he he worked at it in mm-hmm. front of the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so then, I know the routine. Finally, he did get a real guitar, you know, as a teenager, and um, and he got some kids together to play. And um, but interestingly, his secret weapon was the fact that he was going to sing and play at the same time like the Beatles did. Yeah. But at that point in small town, New Jersey, you were either an instrumental band or you were a, a vocal group ah, that like had a backing and band. Stuff like that. Yeah. 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 And this was kind of the change of the guard with the Beatles. Like oh, you said, yes. you know, I can yeah, do yeah. that, too. Yeah. And his. um Singing vocals with the the band was their secret weapon because that didn't, you know, happen uh, too much in those days. So, yeah. And so finally they got he got a real band. And it's one of his first real bands was called the Castiles. Oh, yes. the Castiles. The Castiles. Oh, and that was very Italian. Yeah, I guess so. Kind of like the motifs. Yes. That was one of the the uh, homegrown uh, R&B bands in those days. And uh, they had some, you know, some support by a young couple that kind of helped them, you know, get it together. They started playing more at the beach. So Freehold wasn't, you know, everybody thinks of Bruce Springsteen as Asbury Park. But Freehold was inland and the beach was where the country clubs were and the the rich kids so those were that those were called the raws and then there were the greasers which were more like the kids that he hung out with um and they became the regular band at a pizza joint 
and played to the greasers and the raws. Would you like to hear a song that they did in those days? I I believe we would like yes, to hear a song. Yes, of he the Castiles. He put out a companion CD to this book called Chapter and Verse, and this is one of the songs on it. It's called Baby Eye. It's really cute. Let's listen to it. That sounds like a lot of other songs from that era. You uh, know, it's got it's that like, garage band feel. Yeah, uh, and the kind know. of uh, harmonies. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So some singing on it. Yeah, it's not yeah. just a single vocal. Yeah, uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, around this pl- same time, you know, the um, uh, he met Steve Van Zant and little Steven. Yeah, they didn't. You know, they didn't. Uh, they weren't in a band at the time together, but they became very good friends over rock and roll history. And they were both total aficionados, you know, of rock and roll. And they would trade, you know, records and talk about rock and roll. Are all you the telling time. me they are rock and roll archaeologists? I think so. Oh. They became a mutual admiration society, he wow. said. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That is uh, smart. You know, um, Shelly Akis once said to me, if you if you really want to you know get uh, a leg up on the competition, uh, don't just know your heroes' music, but know your heroes' heroes' music. Ah, good idea. All right, back to Bruce. Yep, back to Bruce. Okay, so he started going into New York City and you know kind of trying to. Um, going to shows, and he actually skipped his high school graduation because the principal didn't want him on the stage because he had long hair. And uh, oh, so, there was a lot of that going yeah, around. Yeah, so at that it was time. like, I, I have, I've had enough of this small town and their stupid values. Um, so, what year did he graduate? Like 67, 68, maybe 69? 68, yeah. 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 And, and also that year, there was the first drug bust in his town, a freehold. Um, Ooh, now, Bruce may, I'm wasn't sure that into made local drugs. news. Bruce wasn't into drugs uh-huh. in those days, uh-huh. or it doesn't sound like he ever really was. But half of the band members in his band, the Castiles, were swept up in the drug bust. So that was the end oh. of the Castiles. Oh, they were swept <laughs> up in the drug bust. Yes, they were. Oh, my God. Okay. But uh, that was okay. Um, Bruce decided to uh, buy an electric guitar and, um, and, and follow in the footsteps of Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix. Oh, guitar gods. Yes. And right. he, um, and they, you know, he decided to really hone in on the guitar and be a lead guitar player. And, um, and it ended up that the guitar, that the electric guitar he bought was actually a bass guitar. Huh? And uh, he didn't understand, like, why it was so 
it had such a long neck and wide frets. <laughs> and then he had strung it with guitar strings. Um, anyway, I thought that was a funny story. Well, there should like, only be hello. four of them, which would tell you yes. very quickly that it's I wonder a if he like, stuck a but, couple extra ones on there. Well, yeah. that's not very rock and roll archaeologist, no. but sure. Okay. So anyway. Yeah. And so like... Um, Back in uh, As Asbury Park, he started. Uh, he got some new people together for a a band, and that's uh, when he pulled Danny Federici and Gary Talent into his fold. Oh, so he got a couple e some of, of those the E Street Band are coming. E Street, uh, yeah. Right, right. Now, one of the things that I thought was really just kind of really surprised me was that at some point his father, who was depressed and, and not satisfied with his life, mm -hmm. talked his mom into just pulling up roots oh, and moving, moving to California. To San Mateo, I believe. That's right. right. And they took his little baby sister, who was, you know, I don't know, 12 years younger than him, and invited Bruce and his other sister, Virginia, who was only 17 and pregnant, um, and invited them to come out and live with them. But Bruce and Virginia, you know, Virginia's like, well, I'm having a baby and yeah, my I, boyfriend my, my, is here. Yeah, my, my life is in New Jersey. Yeah, mm. and Bruce too. Yeah. So, I mean, but they were like, what, 16 and 17 or 17 and I 18? Thought I, I thought I heard that Bruce did come out to San Mateo for a short while and actually did try to start a band out here. Yeah, he did. He did. But not until they'd, um, not, in, not until after he... And his band, his musician friends, moved into the family home. <laughs> oh, took it over. <laughs> yeah, and decided, well, we're just gonna, we'll just have our home base be here for now, and um, and then, of course, they were kicked out. Yeah, After that was about a was month. That, was that can, steel mill? Um, not quite yet, but yes, we're getting to steel mill. They um, after they were kicked out of the of the family home after about a month, they moved in with this uh, guy Tinker in his surfboard factory, and Tinker supported them in in being in a band, and so then they became uh, Steel Mill, which was apparently patterned after the name Led Zeppelin Steel Mill. Um, I don't know. For some reason, they thought that uh, okay. was funny. Okay, I, I think uh, yeah. I can see the inspiration. Yes, and it was a very kind of hard rocking, very long guitar solos kind of band. But they were very popular on the Jersey Shore. And one of the um, songs that is also on chapter and verse is called "He's Guilty," the Judge song. Oh. And this one features Bruce at the beginning with his virtuoso guitar. Oh, so this is riffs. his Hendrix uh, Clapton uh riffs here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's listen let's to Let's have a little listen to that one. He's guilty, the judge song. <laughs> Yeah. 
Well, um, interesting, but I don't think Jimmy and Eric have much to worry about. No. He's not the greatest lead guitar player. Thank God he went into songwriting. Yes. I think that's what uh, he found out, which was uh, shortly after that, um, they did go out to Cal- to California because they had a gig at uh, Esalen. You know, oh, the, yeah. Uh, the, the think... Uh, uh, not really a think tank. What the it was, hip, it was the kind of hippie yeah. yogi, yeah, um, uh, uh, new age, new age resort, right? Yeah, in right. Big Sur. Yeah, yeah, isn't that they funny? Are, they, they got had, a gig had, out at Esalen. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> really? Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. And um. Then, wow. I hope some good meditation was going on I'm during not sure. his I think guilty, it was more like nude, uh, you know, hot tubs, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was quite a shock to these small town New Jersey boys. Um, and they did get a a gig in San Francisco at a club, but they didn't get paid for it. They were just, I guess, working on tips. And then um, he, um, they auditioned for Bill Graham. Oh wow! Um, at the Fillmore West, right. and they, they apparently the audience that, that was there for the auditions loved them, but um, they Bill, didn't. Bill uh, didn't make it. Huh? They were Bill asked didn't... to do a demo for um, Bill Graham Records, and they did a demo, but they didn't get a record deal. So I think um, after that, he realized, oh, we're not really special. You know, we need to do something different. Uh-huh. And so they went back to New Jersey and um, and he asked, uh, well, then he brought Steve Van Zant into their band playing bass, by the way. Okay, so now wait funny. a minute. You say that Danny Federici and mm-hmm. Gary Talent yes. are in the band. They were in Steel Mill. Yeah. In Steel Mill, yeah. okay. And now... Little Steven has joined. That's right. But he's playing bass. Yeah. So what is Gary Talent doing? He doesn't he play piano? No, that's Roy Bitten. Oh, okay. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Wait, no, but, but they had a different bass player named um Little Vinny. Maybe Gary's playing yeah. something else before yeah. he moves over to bass. Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. All right. And um and then he also, um, so he decides he wants to change it into more of an R&B uh, review kind of band. Okay. And stop the hard rock and get into uh, like backup singers and horns and stuff. And he started auditioning backup singers. And that's the first time he heard from Patty Scalfa. Because she was one of the backup singers when she was a teenager. So this is him. this is before the E Street Band. Yes. He and Patty have met. On the phone. Oh. Yeah, on the phone. Oh. But then he does bump into her, because they're both from New Jersey. Yes. And he bumps into her, you know, every once in a while. Um, and then, you know, later on she gets into the E, e Street Band. Um, but, <laughs> much later yeah, on, much, but yes. Yes. Wow. That's right. I mean, you know, 15, 16, and, 17 And more years than later. just the E Street Band. Well, yeah. But that's... <laughs> so, don't jump Okay, ahead. okay. Yeah. I, won't, I won't go too far ahead. Okay. All right. All right. Get me back. Roll me back here. All so. right. I'm going to roll you back. Okay. Well, the Bruce Springsteen Band, which he called his 
R&B review didn't didn't really do that well. It didn't bring ah, in. But I can see where this, this this is really an important piece, though the 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 R&B piece. Yes, I can see this is okay. All it's right, like all right. The building a... blocks are coming together here. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was really important to him to have backup vocal. You know, like good backup vocals. Right, right, right. Like he like he had with the Castiles. Right. A little bit of the 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 real modern. Whole rock with uh, steel mill, okay, mm-hmm. all right, and yeah. now a review, a a, a kind of a, a R and B review band, okay. Those those are the elements of uh, of the E Street band, okay, okay. I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, so he's kind of pulling all these different elements together, trying to see what's gonna work. Um, but this uh, R and B review thing was not as financially fruitful as what they had been doing. And so what they went did was they went into um, some funky bar on the Jersey Shore, the one that was doing the worst, and they talked the owner into letting them have kind of a, a residency there mm-hmm. and that all they would take was tips. They, he didn't have to pay them. And that way they built up a following. You know, they had a platform and they got people that were interested in independent music and um, and he was actually looking for a sax player um, to play in their band. And um, Clarence came and sat in with them, but he didn't join right away. But that was the first. He said uh, the first night they met Clarence. So Clarence, this, this was at the Wonder Bar. Uh, the Student Prince. The Student Prince. OK. Yes. OK. All right. Yes. And Clarence. So this is Clarence. In, OK. And. Uh, just wow. as the door blew off its hinges, there was <laughs> yeah, some kind of... I can't imagine it being anything but, uh, like, out of a fucking movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he just, like, came in and the door blew off its hinges and he came and <laughs> sat in with them and played and Bruce knew right away that was the sound he was looking for. But I don't care it. whether it's true or not, man. It's that, a good story. It's a great story. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's just the big man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And he, All right. Know, he was already in a band, so it took a while to, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he went out to California again by himself, and then he decided he was going to do some songwriting because he, he loved Dylan. He listened to Dylan's old albums, and he really wanted to kind of get his teeth into the dark and the light in the world and, okay, you know, so we, put we, that into music. Right. So we have, we have uh, you know, a basic garage rock band with uh, good harmony vocals. We then have a little bit more of, of some hard rock in there with Steel Mill, uh, the first band being the Castiles. And we now have the uh, R&B Review, uh, and now you have Clarence with the sax in there, and now he wants to study Dylan. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I got it. There's a lot of pieces. But this this is this is this Bruce is Springsteen and the E Street Brand. I that's t- right. totally get it. All right. Yeah. And so then he met Mike Apple. Appel or Apple? Uh, Mike Appel, yeah. Appel. The, uh, yeah. yeah. And he got him to sign, you know, yeah, typical story, yeah, signed a bunch yeah. of con- gave away, contracts. Gave away the farm, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, this, that, this, this story is not going to end good. No, but, it, you know, it ends okay eventually. But yeah. uh, as we know, Bruce is not wanting for money. Um, but <laughs> not today, <laughs> that's for sure. He, um, but Mike Appel did um, introduce him to John Hammond. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, from Columbia. Yeah, Columbia. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, and he played for Clive Davis, and they Ooh. wanted him on the label. Oh, yeah. So he made a demo. Mm-hmm. The demo was Growing Up. 
Oh, this is yes. in the Netflix um, uh, uh, Broadway show, right? That he talks about that, yeah. 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 But but I but we have a, a sample of the song. Is this also from chapter and verse? This is from chapter and verse as well? Yes. uh Okay. So this is growing up, the demo version, and this is from 1972, right? Um, Let's see. I have 73, but it's close enough. It's around that time. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Take two. Well, I stood stone like at midnight, suspended in my masquerade. I combed my hair till it was just right And commanded the night brigade I was open to pain and crossed by the rain And I walked on a crooked crutch Well, I strode all along to a fallout zone And came out with my soul untouched I hid in the clouded wrath of the crowd They said, sit down, I stood up And there it is. That is Bruce Springsteen, fully right. formed. He's the real deal. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. I just when I hear stuff like that, like finally he wrote a song, and it was this <laughs> one, and you're like, what? Where well, the there fuck? you go. Where'd yeah. that come from? You know, it's not too dis- You know, like you know, we we we've delved into the Paul Simon story uh, here, and uh, in several different incarnations. And the thing about Paul is, you know, he had this little early success as Tom and Jerry with Garfunkel. And and then, you know, for like seven years, they went along their way. And Paul's trying to do something. He's taking on, taking in all of this information right. to then become, you know, the Paul Simon writer that we know and love. And it, it's not until The so- uh, Sound of Silence. And, you know, it, it, it is. It's like... You know, I think that's a big takeaway is like there's all this stuff coming at you and you absorb it all. You absorb it all until you then become you. Mm-hmm. And that's this song. Yeah, definitely. And I'm I'm happy. I'm glad that uh, John Hammond and uh, Clive Davis recognized that. Yeah. <laughs> but why wouldn't you? Well, certainly yeah. with that demo. Yeah. You could go, oh, yeah, this kid's got it going on. That's right. Yeah. I was still playing, you know, in clubs and, and you know, working around the city. But when they said, okay, we want you to make an album, he started to try to record the album and he just kind of floundered. And he said, I need my band with me because he was doing this as yes, a solo we do. act. Yes, we need that band. Yeah. I need, I need my guys. Get me this band. Yep. And so he brought in... Uh, Gary Talent, Vinny. So maybe Gary was out for a bit, and so so now we got we got Danny uh, on organ. We got uh, uh, little Steven, right? Um, he only played on this album on one song on the on the first album on one song. Okay, he wasn't officially in the band yet. So so we have Gary Talent. Mm-hmm. Is Max in the band? Max Weinberg? not yet. No. Okay, no Max. Really, it was uh, Davy Sanchez. Uh-huh. Sanchez. Uh huh. Yeah. He was uh, playing drums for the first album or two. Uh Yeah. And it's hard to keep straight. And um, yeah, so it was, and Vinny, um, I can't remember, he knew two, he had two Vinnies. And of course, Clarence. Uh, Clarence only um, played on Spirit in the Night and Blinded by the Light. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So the the full band wasn't really there at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and any and this is the album of course the uh welcome to asbury oh, park oh asbury park yeah, yeah. and um yeah the and a, after they um listened to the album they decided that there were no hits so at the last minute he wrote spirit in the night and blinded by the light what it's like what he just oh, threw those damn it. out okay, there okay fine i'll go and write some hits yeah well certainly blinded you want a by hit the light. oh i didn't know you wanted a hit oh, you okay. should have told me that before yeah. we started <laughs> right you know and i love spirit in the night that's really a great song um and to you know know that um that was to that was one of Clarence's first songs that he recorded with them as special too. So let's play a little Spirit in the Night. You got it. Kind of, I mean, you know, there's definitely the Bruce thing, but uh, but that's kind of a, a subdued uh, Clarence there. Yeah, it's very jazzy. Yeah, I like the way it yeah. starts yeah. out. Yeah, it's a just kind of a mood piece. But you know, the, all the songs on those first two albums, they're so they just um, tell stories, mm-hmm. which is one of his hallmarks, of course, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, you know, they're just kind of going into these kind of twisted <laughs> characters that he's met, you know, in different iterations on the Jersey Shore and right. in his life. Right. Um, I got to say, it was Davy Sanchez, though. Sanchez um, was the drummer at that in, on this record. And, oh, um, yeah, he was. No, no, he was no. the organ player. Okay. Yeah. Organ. So we're Vinny. so Danny. Uh, anyway, it's, yeah. there's a revolving cast of characters. There really is. It's very. This hard is to not keep. the classic Eastery band. Yeah. Here. But don't don't be don't be emailing me every or oh, commenting and saying you made a Sorry, mistake. Sorry, it's like, coming. Okay. These Bruce fans, you know. <laughs> I know. Everybody knows that. who's on what record. Right. Well, anyway, the the next record, of course, was uh, the Wild, the Innocent, and the Eastery Shuffle. That's right. Which is awesome. Yeah. And. Um, these were characters vaguely from Asbury Park, which was in a decline. Uh, they had some race riots there in the mid-70s, um, and not as many people were going into the, you know, were hanging out. And um, so this was a, a record, you know, like I said, about stories about the strange characters um, that they met in that um and one of my favorite ones is rosalita <laughs> because you think yeah oh come on man that's that's an easy one it's that's so a fun. classic song. and he said right. this was based on a true story about a, a girlfriend whose mother tried to get a court injunction to keep bruce away from her daughter oh and ah, so I know he's something you know and that. he's saying i love the line when he says the record company rosie has given me a big advance right, really right. come fun. on baby Come yeah. on, I'm going to be rich and famous. Yep, stick, right. with, stick with the rock and roll Oh, hero. man. All right, let's play. Rosalita, come out tonight. Rosalita, 
Well, I mean, obviously, Clarence is totally on this yeah, record. Yeah, the whole E Street band. Now, now it's starting to sound like the E Street band there. Yeah. yeah. Though they still have, you know, they mm-hmm. still don't have their Love full that Hammond. lineup. Got that badass Hammond yeah. with the Leslie going back there. Yeah. Yeah. It's not until Born to Run, really, that um, they have the, the final, you know, lineup. The classics. But, yeah. The, the so classic lineup. That's when Max, uh, yeah. Weinberg, Max Weinberg takes the drums, drums. Yep. and Roy Bitten yep. uh, takes keys. Yep. Piano. And mm-hmm. they were the first non-neighborhood guys to that they played with. They weren't New Jersey. These were these were professional musicians. Yeah. Right. And oh, um, Max also, Weinberg, man, Jesus. What yeah, a, he's awesome. I mean, he's like he's he's a, a bit of Charlie Watts on steroids. <laughs> That's good. I like that one. Um, yeah, so he became good friends with John Landau. Landau? Oh, the journalist. Yeah. Who also uh, managed the MC5 uh, early on in his career. Oh, is career. that right? Yeah. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Um, yeah, they began to work on this album, Born to Run, together. Mm-hmm. Really? And, uh, yeah. And like, became... in, like as a manager? Yeah. Okay. Oh, right. No, an arranger. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, he was helping him arrange the uh, bottom... The bottom uh, music, um, you know, instruments, uh-huh. and uh, and guided it into a more streamlined sound, and um, and Bruce says that was his best production on one of Bruce's best records. Oh, and also he was a manager and subbed as a father figure. Bruce was always looking for father figures because his had really not supported him. Uh-huh. Um, and then also they brought in Jimmy I of. Jimmy Iovine. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So then he talks about this album like it's a series of vignettes. And uh, Thunder Road introduces the the characters. And it, it ends with Jungle Land and what uh, Bruce calls Clarence's so it's a greatest bit of a recorded album. moment. Uh, Thunder Road or Jungle Land? Jungle Land. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, the geez. Solo now, now I have on to Jungle decide. Land. I have to decide what to play. Jungle Land. Jungle Land. Uh, everybody's got Thunder Road in their head, so I guess that's easy. Well, then, if this is all about Clarence. Then we got to play one of the greatest sax solos of all time, the sax solo in Jungle Land. <laughs> Well, of course, you know, it's a two-minute-plus 
sax solo. We couldn't play the whole thing. Just a taste. Please go and listen to it. It's yeah. just absolutely epic. Yes, transformative. Uh, 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 it's, it, it's, it's like a movie all in its own. Um, uh, I mean, basically, it's like I think it's like two minutes and 15 seconds long, which is about the average length of a song, yeah. uh, an AM song, uh, AM radio song back in the 60s, you know, or something. It's just, and, and it is, it has movements. It's... Uh, it's I. It's just it. It just boggles the mind. Um, I, I probably played that song a, a bazillion times. That's my favorite song on uh, on Born to Run. Yeah, it's a it's a great. Um, it's a, the whole album is a great uh, car you know road trip oh, album for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. That's a, no, the one where you're going to be banging your hand on the steering wheel and you know yeah singing yeah. at the top of your lungs. Uh, like I said, you know, at the top with uh, with the song "Born to Run" and the whole album plays in the same way. It's just it's rock and roll perfection. It just it takes all of the elements and puts it together in an alchemy that is a, a whole piece that just works perfectly for what you know the whole idea of rock and roll is supposed to be about yeah uh and 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 i know there's a lot of criticism of of bruce or some some form of inauthenticity uh or what have you um you know it it doesn't matter i mean uh you know a professional uh entertainer is you know about uh putting these elements together that you know, are creating a, a a piece of work, and that work causes a response from the audience. And however you get there, it doesn't matter. Uh, and um, let's just face it; I mean that that entire album is just you know a gold standard. Uh, yeah. Any way you look at it. Yeah. He he said a funny thing on the in the Broadway um, show, which I only listened to. I didn't see the whole thing, but you know that. Um, he didn't know how to drive when he wrote Racing in the Streets. <laughs> and, you know, he hadn't... A car? No, he n- hadn't driven a car until he was in his early 20s. And uh, he said, and then his joke is... But so that, many of his songs are about a car. I know, and that's what he says is, that's how good I am. <laughs> so I <laughs> Well, Bruce, was... my point about some of the criticism of yeah. inauthenticity, but, it, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's capturing that feeling. You don't have to actually experience right. uh, these things to, uh, to, to, to make that come across if right. you're good enough. Right. I mean, you don't have to know how to drive a car to know that a car is a symbol of freedom and oh, breaking yeah. out yeah. of the yeah. strictures of, you know, I mean, yeah, that's especially a, at that time, a big yeah. part of his his artistry is writing about the the just how closed in you feel in a small town and how you want more up for your life and how, you know, social mores keep people in boxes and stuff like that. And he's busting out. Mm-hmm. Well, you wouldn't be surprised to know that this album was a hit. <laughs> <laughs> you think? But he was only 25 years old at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, you don't really realize how young these people are when these uh, incredible things happen well, that's, to them. That's, again, the, the story of rock and roll. It's uh, youth-driven. Uh, at least it used to be. Yeah. Maybe not so much these days. But, <laughs> no, it's more but it, uh, you know, it, um, uh, you know, it was about this new world uh, that um, 
that uh, came out of post-war uh, America and certainly matured uh, in the 1960s and uh, and now was uh, you know a, a part of uh, the fabric of uh, of the country yeah. and beyond yeah uh, so yeah it had a wide wide reach um, you, do you do you know that uh, Steve Van Zandt didn't play on that record? No, real, no. I mean, I didn't realize that. I mean, but that's so the way Bruce tells it. To the to the to the E Street Band, you know, you you know you you know the uh, the the Gypsy, uh, um, you know, uh, yeah. headband and, uh, right. and all that, and uh, um, you know, but um, yeah. uh, you know, I, again. Uh, you know, this whole project was always based in professionalism Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, getting there and, you know, uh, you know, and, you know, making music, uh, on this level is a collaborative effort. Uh, and you, you also have masters, especially before you prove yourself. Uh, and I'm sure the record company was like, yeah, this guy, that guy, these, you know, so there, there was, there was probably a lot of reasons, uh, why that, uh, that is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, little Steven did, uh, you know, join up with them when they toured the album mm. and that was kind of his, his entree into the E Street Band. Ah, now, um, now a permanent member. Yes. And Clar- and he talks about Clarence a lot, you know, how they kind of, you know, their relationship was a real relationship, but they also, you know, it was a big kernel of truth about their friendship, you know, the black, the white, the big guy the little you know know, short uh, italian irish guy yeah exactly (laughs) and you know they use that kind of archetype and built on it you know that and um and made it this kind of mythical thing on stage where they had this interaction and everything and oh, it really yeah. worked. Oh yes. yeah. Oh yeah. And they had a chemistry. Did. Yes. And um, yeah, it's really fun watching those old um, videos of their old concerts together, where they're just totally going back and forth. Um, and uh, you know, anyway, then after shortly thereafter, um, he, you know, this bad business comes up with Mike Appel. And the contract, because it's time to renegotiate the contract, and he realizes that he signed a horrible deal, and he has to get out of it. So, you know, they went to court. It's a, it's a kind of a typical story. But the court uh, case went on for two years, and he couldn't start recording again until it was over. So it really did affect, you know, the the uh, forward trajectory of the band and Bruce's uh, yeah, professional you know, life. Uh, and I, I remember uh, reading about some of this at the time and um, certainly, um, you know, the uh, the follow-up to Born to Run should have happened much quicker and that probably would have put Bruce on a quicker tra- trajectory to superstardom. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you look back and you say, uh, you know, I mean, come on, the guy now has a you know, 40 uh, plus uh, year career, maybe those things were put in place for, you know, uh, a reason yeah. that, uh, that, that, you know, looks better in hindsight. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably true. I mean, that was something I was just thinking myself. I mean, nobody that maybe wants to go was, through that at the time. Well, maybe uh, it was but, good that a little weight was put on behind him, you know, because he, he was was only 25. Mm-hmm. He's kind of in this just... And I'm sure Crazy. he was working on those songs every day, even though he couldn't sit down and record, which probably allowed him to perfect 
the follow-up album for Born to Run, which also turns out to be quite a classic in its own right. Oh, that's such a good album. Darkness on the Edge of Town. (laughs) I love that album. Imagine if you had to put that out six months after Born to Run. Yeah. Mm. I know. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I know. You know, uh, things do happen for a reason. Um, He, you know, this one, he really went back to his blue-collar childhood and uh, the lives of his family and neighbors and he wanted the characters from born to run to feel older weathered wiser but not beaten oh kind of like him yep (laughs) (laughs) after three years he's not that much older yeah born to run comes out in 75 and darkness comes out in 78 yeah and you're right uh while he was waiting um to put the album out he wrote tons of songs and then he had to cut them down to the 10 on the record. So those are the best ones. He wrote well, you know, the two. sophomore effort, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, let's face it, Bruce has got a couple of records at this time. But, you know, once he gets, you know, really well known with Born to Run, you know, that that next effort, you've have all your life to prepare yeah. for that big moment. And now, you know, there's all these people that are taking your time. You've got to tour incessantly. Um, and uh, but but now you've got to go in the studio and you need to record and, right and that's it's a, a whole level of pressure oh, but yeah but in some way it, that was lessened because uh, he had this lawsuit that he had to deal with and so he ends up with much you know many more songs than he would have had he had to just turn around right away after a tour and get right back in the studio right and uh, and perfect this so yeah uh, yeah so uh, th- one of the songs that he does from this record on his Broadway show is Promised Land. And he does it for a reason, you know, because it's meaningful to the course of his life. And, um, and you know, it's about... Uh, Esalon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. But California? he did spend no. a lot of money because he was learning how to record in the studio and he wasted a lot of his, not wasted, but, you know, it was a, a really steep learning curve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, pay back taxes and get right with the world and learn how to be a wealthy person and not throw your money away so you have some to spend. So um, so this is uh, the kind of period he was in. Oh, and, he and uh, all the NBA players. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, at 25, 26. Yes. So let's listen to Promised Land. You think? Yeah. You just immediately, uh, this guy. It's 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 like it's it's like if Dylan and Phil Spector worked together. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, that 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 like real lush sound. Yeah, yeah. But behind some very personal heart. And is he? You know, as he says in the book, 
he is not he knows he's not a great mm-hmm. singer. You know, we all know he's not yeah. a great singer. But he uses well, when, every when is rock other and roll required a good a great singer. Yeah, it's, right. It's not about that. It's about a, an emotionalism. I mean, that's the point of rock and roll is to right. shed, you know, the inhibitions and to, uh, you know, be free and uh, and yourself uh, out there uh, naked uh, on the stage. Yeah. Oh well, that's me. But anywho, <laughs> I've never seen you naked on the stage, Christian. I didn't know that was part of your. Act. It was metaphorical. Oh, oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Let's continue. Okay. Um, Now that I've exposed myself. Oh, there's another pot. (laughs) All right. So his, so, but in the midst of all this person, this success, musical success, of course, he realizes as he goes along that he's not very good at having relationships, you know, and he, and this is something he learned from his father, um, to his detriment was, you know, you have to, relationships make you weak and, you know, oh. you have to push them away and I'm the a old piece wall. of crap and right. nobody could really love me anyway. And so, you know, that's kind of how he, how he goes into the next album, which is The River. So he brings love, marriage and family into this album and um, Steve, uh, little Steven, helped him produce the album. He wanted a balance between a garage band and a professional sound. So they just really had to kind of bring all of this in. And that's why it was a, a double, double album. album. Yeah. yeah, because he wanted to some emotional depth and he also wanted some bar band music, mm-hmm. which I think he did very well on this album. Yeah, there's um, a, there, it's it's definitely um, thick. Um, I think it could have made a great single album, but uh, <laughs> he, he has uh, uh, a, a concept here and he wants to pursue it like an artist. And, uh, right. You know, there's, uh, you know, there's some great stuff on it. I just think that, um, boy, if, if, if it could have cut, cut down to one album, it would have just been as, as big as Born to Run or uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. Mm-hmm. But that's just my two cents. I'm sure all the Bruce fans out there are saying, what the fuck are you thinking? Are you kidding me? How could he have done that? And you're yes, not I, a you, And besides, you're anyway. second guessing Bruce. How can you possibly do that? So, <laughs> I'll take the slings and arrows. All right. Well, the, one of the things he says at the beginning of the book, actually, was when his sister became pregnant as a teenager and decided to marry, you know, and married her boyfriend and had the baby, that this song, The River, was about her. And so when he put the song out, um, he, uh, he based it on the crash of the construction industry and his brother-in-law's loss of a good paying job and when he played it for his sister she recognized right away that was about her life and he greatly admired her for you know not just not being a teen mother but you know really just taking um like this is my life and I'm gonna do it the best way I can and he calls her the the epitome of Jersey soul that she just you know made a made a made something out of her life uh, had a great family, you know, her marriage endured. And this was, this song was about though, how hard it was in the beginning. And it didn't really seem like an ideal thing, but she turned it around and made it good. The journey. Yep. Let's listen to the river. (laughs) 
After this, uh, after he put out the river, believe it or not, you know he was in debt before that. Like I said, because of the you know recording bills. Yeah, not and, uncommon. Yeah, yeah, and he's a young man. He didn't mm-hmm. know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And he got screwed so, on the first couple of albums and all that. Yeah. yeah, and finally with this one, he he has some extra cash. He was able to pay off his creditors and had something left over. So he spent. $10,000 on a new 82 Camaro. And that was his first new car he'd ever bought at the age of 31. A man who writes songs about cars yep. finally buys a car at yep. age 31. That's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and as we know, the next album uh, was Nebraska, which was a uh, oh, different, uh, very, a, a very uh, a big left turn. Yes, yeah. a big U-turn, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, he said it was began it as a meditation on his childhood and its mysteries. And the, all the songs were written quickly, and he recorded them uh, in his home. Yeah, no brought, E Street Band here. Nope, no E Street Band. This is a solo album he recorded on his four-track recorder. And... Um, and of course, you know it didn't do as well as I as I said to Jesse on the interview was this was kind of the point at which he lost me. But I mean, part of that is oh, because, you personally, uh, yeah, as a yeah. fan. Okay. I mean, I was a huge fan. You know, starting with Born to Run, and then I went back because you know it came out when I graduated high school. My mm-hmm. sister was really into it. Then I went back and listened to the first two albums. I loved them, and then you know, come along these next two great albums. And um, and then Nebraska came along, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> but well, that's the know, expectation I mean, of the artist. But uh, you know, right. at the same time, uh, you know, uh, I mean, an expectation of the audience. But yeah. at the same time, the artist needs to grow and provide fresh new material that will keep them inspired. That's right. And maybe that's what Nebraska was. Yeah, about. and that's you know, and that's great. I mean, in retrospect, now that I'm you know an old lady. Um, I, you know, you look back and you're like, well, why shouldn't you do that? You know, but it, in the moment when you're only 20, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, that's yeah. not really what I'm looking for in a record right now. Um, but I can go back and listen to it and, you know, appreciate it anymore. But actually, what the one song I really I did like when it um, came out was Atlantic City. So these these were all like um, songs about, like I said, about his childhood and um, stories that came from his family. He calls them black bedtime stories. And it's the opposite of rock music, really. Though Atlantic City does kick up a little dust, I think. Well, let's so. take a listen to Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. Well, they blew up a chicken man in Philly last night. Now they blew up his house, too. Down on the boardwalk, they're getting ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get 
So uh, he takes a moment, uh, gets personal, gets quiet. Uh, Bruce, an acoustic guitar. That's right. He had to get it out. And get that out. And geez, uh, let's see. And that's it. And then I think, uh, you know, because it didn't do great, the record company drops him. Yeah. Uh, he moves into, into obscurity, obscurity, right? Yeah, yeah. And he just does, you know, is an old man kind of. Why are we talking on... about him? Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. There was another one that came up, which was born in the USA. Um, mm, I did, think I remember that one. <laughs> you know, the the funny thing is that the first half of that album, of Born in the USA, he was recording at the same time as, as recording Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember that, yeah. yeah. That's kind of, like, amazing. Uh, you yeah. know, like well, two sides. Yeah, yeah, him. yeah, well, maybe he just felt like some of these songs that he was doing that maybe, uh, you know, um, could... I, I think I remember a story of, like, he thought maybe these things could work together as uh, two sides or you know right. light and dark or a what have you album. or something yeah. and then it became obvious that no this no. was a project they, on its own they didn't have anything in common really except for him well yeah and then yeah. let's face it um you know born in the usa is like uh you know that th- this is when bruce becomes giant a superstar yeah. Yeah. yep but interestingly enough this is about the time that he experiences his first real depressive episode. Oh. And so um, what he realizes is, you know, this is something either biologically he inherited from his father or that he just inherited as being, you know, his father's son through a, through a nature, you know, is, is it nature, nature nurture. is it nurture? Right, right, uh-huh. But but the truth is that, yes, he, he moved out to L.A. for a while and... You know, and then finally got into therapy, and he said the heart of the book began with his therapy, which you can tell by reading the book. It's very, it's very personally, you know, delving into his uh, psyche and you know how all this stuff played into his music and everything. Um, but he did. So um, was it was it the superstar success that kind of put him over the edge? You think? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, it, it or just Los Angeles, a New Jersey yeah, right. kid living in Los Angeles. That did it to me, Maybe too. that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't like after the album was released. It was kind of during, I think, while he was um, working on it. And then he took kind of a hi- hiatus um, in the middle of Born in the USA and then cranked the rest out later. Yeah. And that song was... Uh, um, written about um the you know being in the Vietnam soldier coming, coming back, back from and, the Vietnam yeah, War yeah. and of course one of his most misunderstood songs because we know who co-opted that for his presidential campaign Ronald Reagan uh which yeah is, completely uh, over the head yeah it's yeah. like hello did yeah. you listen to the um yeah you know, uh, the song <laughs> <laughs> But um, the the one that I want to play now is "Dancing in the Dark," which is oh, kind the of big funny hit. because the big that was hit. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was his leap into mainstream pop. Right. And uh, radio. All right, who's the, girl, who's the girl in the video? Yeah, Courtney Cox. Ra- oh, yes. yes did, you, did you watch Orange is the New Black? Uh, I watched the first couple oh, of seasons. It's the funniest um, scene in one, I think the last, one of the last seasons was um, the the woman who's the, who's the kind of cold-hearted uh, prison head um, goes to a bar and says that that song, she was in the audience when he brought Courtney Cox up to the stage. It should have been her. That's why she has all this like darkness in her heart was that Bruce this didn't is, you pick know, the fictional. right girl yeah right and 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 her date is telling her you know she was a plant right she wasn't just a regular girl she you was think? in the audience as a publicity stunt right and it was like I think it was woman, for the video but yeah. sure uh <laughs> that's all funny. right yeah so anyway that I I just remember that when I um listen to it and so we know that uh well while now everybody else is going to have to yeah. play that in their head while they listen to dancing in the dark <laughs> to see her i can't remember the name of the character but bruce thought that courtney cox was a fan when she came up to do the music video oh really i thought was funny yeah. oh she just he thought she wasn't a plant that's just yeah, like, oh didn't know that who's she... this cute girl yeah and he just with the model with looks which is probably that, best appears like she should be on camera yeah that's all and like... we'll become a superstar in the future yeah <laughs> all right let's listen to dancing that's in the funny. dark all right dancing in the dark Get up in the evening And I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to bed feeling the same way I ain't nothing but tired Man, I'm just tired and bored with myself Hey there, baby I could use just a little help You can't start a fire So, yeah, um, halfway into this album, Steve Van Zant leaves the E Street Band. Yeah. He and wants to go out a on solo his own. Career. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, understandable. And then. Uh, Ain't Bruce... going to play Sun City. Hmm? Ain't going to play Sun that's City. That's right. That's right. He's got a lot to do. Yeah. Uh, Nils Lofgren comes aboard and uh, adds a lot to the band. He's yes, a great he does. Rock guitarist. Virtuoso. With a great voice. Mm hmm. And um, and then he adds Patty Scalfa to the band. So hmm. he had uh, met her. Patty um, Scalfa. Yeah. We've heard about her. He heard her sing. He loved her voice. And they became what he calls bar buddies. Uh-oh. Yeah. He wanted to add a good backup singer to have quality, dependable vocals. Right. And uh, But in the meantime, he also decides he's 34 and it's time to get married. But he doesn't God damn it. I'm Patty. 34. Yeah. It's time to get married. That's right. He tried the rock star promiscuity, but he wasn't, uh, you know, just... Um, that didn't fit him. No, it didn't fit him. And he wanted to be married. That that was very important to him. And, you know, he talks about... Let's see. About, uh, didn't we talk about being Irish and Italian and Catholic? Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> That's right. He's got it all there. So, but he also knew, and his mother knew, and she said, you know, you only have two to three years with any one woman, and uh, I wonder when this one's going to fall apart. And of course, what? right Wait. on schedule. Oh, oh, you mean, oh, oh, you mean, uh, you mean Bruce yeah. has this problem, not that she was saying, hey, this is the way it works. You only get two or three years. No, okay. no, no. He All was right. saying that's his, his that's fault. That's what she his, noticed She noticed Bruce. about him. Y- yeah. Y- okay, I gotcha. And, you know, he's got apparently some deep insecurities. Like, how could this woman love him? You know, she's like almost 10 years his... Who's it? Oh, this is uh, Julianne. Uh, Julianne, I'm sorry. Right. Julianne, Julianne Phillips, Phillips, the model. Right. Uh, an actress. actress. An actress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that people um, kind of dissed him for that. Like, oh, you're you're supposed to be the blue-collar New Jersey boy, and now you think you're so great, you're marrying this, you know, really beautiful Hey, we've model. already established that he didn't drive when he was writing all those songs yeah. about cars. Yeah, so it was all a hoax. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, this is like some a big deal for him. Like he's trying to have this relationship. He's having depression and anxiety attacks. He's, you know, he's not, he knows it's going to fall apart at some point and it's just on, on a tenuous ground. And so the Tunnel of Love album, mm. which was a, another solo yep. record, the song, it's all songs about adult relationships and, you know, trying to make sense of his own relationship and his own marriage. And I thought one of the really telling songs on that album was is Brilliant Disguise. And he says in the book, it sits at the thematic center of the album. Well, then let's yeah. listen to Brilliant Disguise with now Patty in, in the, the band, uh, but him married to Julian... Phillips. That's right. And Nils Lofgren also in the band. That's oh, right. but this is a solo album. Yes. All right. Got it. I think Brilliant Patty disguise. sings on this one, though, too. Yeah, that's got that mid '80s uh, sound to it, huh? Yeah. Is there a drum machine in there? It's almost. A... I don't think Bruce plays the drums. I know he no. plays guitar, piano. No, but uh, it, yeah, it's far different than uh, his last uh, solo album, Nebraska. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So it's, it's definitely got that, you know, that '80s sound to it. Yeah. And so, but as the. Um, oh, back the, to the soap opera. The album, yes, which is about relationships remember (laughs) adult relationships in the meantime he and patty grow closer because they're on tour together Mm. and they're you know in close proximity and um and he realizes like they've crossed paths for 17 years two of them and then two years of working side by side he realized that they were meant for each other he told julie julie about it 
um, you know, of course, he takes total responsibility for his relationship with her crashing. She she went into it, you know, honestly and in love with him, and he was not, you know, on the same page with her. So, um, so he got together with Patty. And, and they've been happily married ever they since. They really have. I yeah. mean, he spends a lot of this book talking about how fa- fabulous his wife is, i got to say. And you can't... You know, I totally understand. As a married woman, I would do the I, same thing I when I write my that. book. That's right. Yes. And, uh, you know, they had to work stuff out, but she apparently was a rock and, you know, stood by him. Um, she, she, you know, of course, they had uh, their first son in 1990 and then they get married and um start a wonderful life together um and as you know he said his wife since he didn't get a real good role model with his dad with his own dad his wife had to kind of teach him you know you can't just be you can't just like phone it in when you're a parent you have to be there for them for the important the everyday things and the important things and so that's one of the things he really um, focused you know. on yeah mm-hmm. good and she yeah. helped him with yeah oh. and so the the song i think this is from uh oh so his next albums were lucky town and human touch they, mm-hmm. they both came out in the same year in 1992 but the one that uh, that's really no uh, oh yeah they did yeah that's yeah. right yeah the one that's at the meaning- same time uh-huh wow. yeah i know i remember that was very odd um but i loved the song if i should fall behind because um my own husband and I had some difficulties, you know, shortly before that. And it, it just was such a great song about, you know, when you're a couple and you're together for a long time, you make missteps. Each person makes missteps. And the other one, you know, if it's going to last a long time, the other one waits for you, you know, and they, and it's kind of like one step forward, one step back, two steps forward, you know, but you're, you just kind of like, wait for the other person if it's a balanced relationship yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. so uh it's a very sweet song oh well okay let's play a little of if i should fall behind we said we'd walk together baby come what may there come the twilight Should we lose our way If as we're walking A hand should slip free I'll wait for you Should I fall behind Wait for me We swore we'd travel all right, so all right, so we know the, the, the now he settled down. Now, now he and Patty are like uh, you know tied yep. together forever. Yep, they seem to be three lovely children. Yeah. Yes, and uh, next thing um, that happens is that Jonathan Demi comes to Bruce in 1994 and wanted him to write a song for the film. He was directing called Philadelphia. Yeah, um, and uh, starring Tom Hanks. Yeah, as a, as a, about a, the AIDS, AIDS uh, crisis and mm-hmm. uh, an AIDS survivor, or um, not a survivor because I believe he died, but um, fighter, a fighter mm-hmm. uh, in to to gain uh, his rights in court. Right. Yeah, and um, 
And Demi wanted uh, Bruce to write a rock song, but Bruce started writing the lyrics and realized they weren't for a rock song. Um, so he slowed it down and he put it to some minor chords and Demi loved it after he heard it. I mean, it was just what he was looking for. It wasn't what he was looking for, but he loved what, what Bruce came up right, with. Right. And then, um, you know, Bruce got an Oscar for it. Yeah, for he did. The Won song. the best song of the year. For, yeah. Yeah. And so then he took it up to show his parents who were living in San Mateo in, in, close to where we are right now, where they had moved to. And his father was sitting there just like he always sat there in the kitchen in his T-shirt and smoking and looking, you know, like a depressed guy sitting at the kitchen table. And Bruce put the statuette down in front of him, and his father said, I'll never tell anybody what to do ever again. Because, <laughs> wow. you know, his dad did not support him being a musician, and now he's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I guess you're pretty good. You're really good at this. Yeah. Yeah. It is a good song. It's very um, full of, um, I don't know, kind of uh, atmosphere, right? Well, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's find out. Let's play a little Streets of Philadelphia. Like 1993, height of the AIDS crisis. Um, that movie was really important. The song was really important. Really uh, opened a lot of people's eyes to what was going on and what needed to be done. Yeah, yeah, that was the beginning of the of the you know of pulling out of the crisis where everybody was dying and finally people also the medical community finding ways to keep people alive and you know get through that yeah yeah Yeah. it's pretty cool yeah his next album the ghost of tom joad was another one like nebraska in fact he calls it um kind of bringing uh the stories of the it's kind of a sequel to the characters in nebraska and um his his kind of thinking in doing this album was this question where does a rich man belong because you know he was a a working class kid and teenager and now he's rich so what does that mean does that mean he can't you know keep commenting on disadvantaged people and keep fighting for them so he's trying to you know work through this like so he's what? concerned about the inauthenticity yeah mm-hmm. yeah and um he started with that 
the song, The Ghost of Tom Joad, and then he knew From that he John Steinbeck's to, uh, Grapes of Wrath. That's right, Tom mm-hmm. Joad in, in Grapes of Wrath, and take that kind of feeling about California and the migrant um, communities in California and, and their experience and, um, you know, and and talk about that in in this album and in these songs and how the immigrant experience never really changes in the United States, you know, even though it's gone through all these different... Oh, variations uh, yeah. uh, from... And like different, uh, different ethnic from groups. From the 18th century, yeah, right. yeah. Each comes, they, st- they, they start at the bottom rung of the ladder and uh, uh, try to make their way up um right. kicking yeah. the people at the bottom yeah other than the, the african-american experience which has always been given the it's bottom different. wrong yeah uh, that's not know, really so an immigrant that's, experience no, that's a forced immigration right, right. totally different but right. um uh, all right so let's listen to the ghost of tom Joad. he pulls a prayer book out of his sleeping bag preacher lights up a button takes a drag waiting for him Last shall be first and the first shall be last In a cardboard box neath the underpass Got a one-way ticket to the promised land Got a hole in your belly and a gun in your hand Sleeping on a pillow of solid rock Breathing in the city Right after that, you know, um, solo album. That solo uh, album, yeah, a very reminiscent of um, Nebraska. Yes, yes thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know Bruce and a guitar uh, sort of thing. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. He, you know, in, in, you know, actually, after that, he talks more about his father's mental illness, and he did get on some good medication last ten years of his life, and they made some peace together. Um, his father died in 1998, and um, you know, of course, his father's story is very important to Bruce. It's kind of like what he's working through in this book. Um, but shortly after his father died, he he gets the E Street Band back together to um, go on a reunion tour. So he'd been working with another band yeah, cause in they, the they, early they, 90s. Yeah, because they'd kind of been uh, sent packing for about 10 years. Yeah, remember, yeah, they yeah. were put on hi- hiatus. Hiatus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and doing, you know, I'm sure they were doing other things. Oh, oh let's see. Yeah, uh, well, Max was uh, the musical director for um, uh, Conan O'Brien. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, there you go. Something yeah. New. So... So anyway, they start these rehearsals for the reunion tour, and um, Bruce is feeling kind of depressed, like, I don't know if we're coming back, to, if we're kind of like, we felt kind of dead, you know, and then and then he went outside of the convention center where they were doing their rehearsals and brought some fans in, and then they, they instantly came to life, and he knew that they were going to be able to click again and go on tour, um, and one of the songs that he wrote for this, he wrote a, a song just for 
the show just for this tour mm-hmm. and he took this news story about the shooting of a black youth Amadou Amadou Diallo in New York oh, City. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and he wrote this um song called American it was Skin. Sh- shot like like 40, hmm? 41, oh, 41 shots, times, that's yeah. right. Oh, you that's get strange. killed just for living in your American skin. I mean, it's just a chilling song. And they, well, like we were just talking about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the immigrant experiences, you know, yeah, you begin at the bottom rung of the ladder, but then you climb up, except for the black experience, forced immigration. They are always at the bottom rung of the ladder. Yes. And and, and the, one of the reasons I thought this was so interesting, because I'd forgotten about that, was that there's, you know, so much... Um, going on now um, with Black Lives Matter and, you know, all the cell phones on the police and on certain situations. And, you know, you kind of wondering, like, is this, all, you know, of course, the black community knows this is always been oh, it's happening, always been the case, right, right. but we're all just starting to really realize how, well, how, uh, how know. just like pervasive yeah, they say the camera is. doesn't lie. Not That's necessarily right. the case these days, but uh, in the past. You know, um, you uh, could use a camera to make proof. Yeah, right. And and you know, this the song wasn't really that well accepted. I mean, a lot of people loved it, but um, they got some booing, you know, in the audience, and they got some kickback or some kind of reaction from uh, the police uh, around the country. And he kind of got a, a black mark, you know, on him for singing this song because you know it's it's basically they killed this young man with 41 shots. you know shots <laughs> and you know it's just like the th- kind of thing you see over and over again well live at Madison Square Garden this is the E Street band back together with Bruce after a 10 year hiatus playing American Skin I just love how they start the song with each of the front yeah. guys, you guys have doing to, their 41 shots. Yeah, you got to listen to that whole thing. Um, I, I think it's on YouTube. Oh, no, no, that was... Uh, I can't remember where you played that from. But anyway... Live the, at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, the whole, the whole um, song... It just builds and builds. It's very um, yeah. Effective. We can't play the whole thing. Yeah, just a piece but of it, go but... listen to it. It's very good. All right. Yeah. And then uh, okay. September eleventh, oh, two thousand and one. No. That's right. That creates the next story. That's right. And he was. Um, I think they were. He had just started um, recording the rising, and um, was having trouble getting it together and making it fresh. And then this, um, you know horrible thing happened on 9-11 
he lived in a beach town in New Jersey, which was directly across the water from Manhattan and saw, you know, and just had a front row seat, not too close, but, you know, very oh, close. Close enough to yeah. see and, you uh, know, in, were... in real time, live. Yeah, um, imagine. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it affected everybody that was alive at that time and could witness it, uh, you know, even on television. Um, you know, it affected everybody in this country. Yes. Um, and you in, know, in, in not his... talking about uh, what happens afterwards and the right and wrongs. All I'm talking about is that this was a traumatic event. Uh, you know, obviously um, nothing like it since December 7th, 1941. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and and that wasn't that wasn't in real time. That wasn't where everybody was experiencing this as it happened. No, you had to read it in the paper the next day. Yeah. Or that day. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and for him it was especially... But you know anybody that lived in that area because oh, they yeah. the I still dead, talk to New Yorkers who were traumatized yeah. by the event. Yeah, I mean he knew people. You yeah. know there were people that lived in his town that yeah. were killed. Yeah. Um. So the the whole album, the rising was um, was influenced by you know was kind of written with that theme in the background of you know there were other songs on the album, My City of Ruins into the fire you're missing written about that day um but the song you know i think that everybody kind of knows from that album is the rising well i i, I want to play the broadway version the new version that uh, uh just recently uh people can catch on netflix um out there because it's interesting in how he reinterprets uh, the song. So let's let's listen to the rising from Springsteen on Broadway. Can't see nothing in front of me. Can't see nothing coming up behind. Take my way through this darkness Can't feel nothing but this chain that binds me Lost track of how far I've gone How far I've gone, how high I've climbed On my back's a 60-pound stone On my shoulder a half-mile of line Come on up for the ride He's such a great reinterpreter of his own songs. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he when, when he strips things back and uh, gives it a, a completely different, um, um, well, interpretation, uh, and you come away going, wow, I, I, I never thought of the song that way. Right. Um, it's... Wait till you hear Born to Run on Spring on uh, Broadway. That he really, really does different no born in the usa he really oh, does that oh that, I, that i'm sure and yeah. and he has done that uh you know let's face it uh, you know <laughs> born in the usa was stolen uh and used to uh for a political movement that had no idea what the song was about 
Um, I think we, we talked about that earlier, but, uh, you know, and he's reinterpreted a, a, a couple times, uh, certainly that song. You know, I, I'm just going to say something here real quick. Just I have seen the Netflix um, uh, video and Sacrilege. I didn't really love it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know I, there's oh, there's got to be people booing out in the audience right now. Um, uh, look, uh, my feeling was that rock and roll doesn't really translate very well to television as it is. Um, you know, you just don't get the, the electricity in the room uh, that you do at a show. And I just felt like that that whole thing just works, probably works so well in that small theater. And if you were in that theater, it's a totally different visceral reaction then you're just not going to get from home now I, I know all the giant bruce fans out there just you know have huge praise for it but i just i you know i i, I just felt I, I, I to be honest with you i, I kind of felt bored uh and i and i but i i knew that if i was there i'm sure i wouldn't feel this way um and uh, that's, I don't know. That's that's my take on well, it. Well, there would have been people just quivering with excitement on all sides of you. So right. you would, it would have been hard uh, you, to Again, you would feel the buzz, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah. just the, that's the, the amazing thing about, uh, you know, a rock and roll show in any of, uh, of its various forms. Yeah. Uh, you know, from the, you know, the big explosions of, let's say, an over-the-top kiss uh, show uh, to you know something uh, intimate uh, like uh, uh, Springsteen on Broadway, mm-hmm. um, and you know if you're a, a true connoisseur of of rock and roll like you know us rock and roll archaeologists are and you diggers out there, you know you can get it from all various forms, um, but you got to be there. Uh, and again, it's I I just don't think it's ever translated well on television. Now, I like live shows to listen to, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, but watching them, it doesn't. You don't. You just don't get the the same feel. That's I don't know, that's my two cents. Yeah. Well, I listened to it um, on the the soundtrack, and I just did it in piece. You know, bits and pieces, right. so you could hear, you know, his intro and his stories, and then the song. And then, you know, arrive in my car where I was going and turn it off and and pick it up again. So I didn't do it all in one sitting. Yeah. 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 All right. So we're uh, we're kind of, you know, now we're we're into 21st century, Bruce. That's that's right. We're in the 21st century. And the next album. 21st century, Bruce Oidman. No. (laughs) I never heard that one. (laughs) That's new. Um, Devils and Dust, which Uh is kind of... uh, the, oh, uh, acoustic. The end uh, of the triptych of uh, his. Oh, uh, Nebraska, Ghost of Tom Joad, and yeah, because this dust. was another one he did uh, solo, uh, a home recording, and did a tour by himself. Um, I don't know; he may have had other people, but E Street Band yeah, was not, not on not, the tour. Not exactly the E Street Band, right? 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 Yeah. Although not a long form hiatus with the E Street Band this time. Right. Right. And at the same period of time, which kind of fits with this kind of solo acoustic home recording thing is he he bought a farm near their hometown in new jersey and actually bought horses and you know his daughter turned out to be a oh so he learned uh, to drive an and international ride. equestrian uh his daughter uh jessica i think her name is so that kind of fit with them and he learned how to ride and they put she's a jouster hmm? she's a jouster no no she's a she's an equestrian <laughs> a jouster 
Wait. Oh. We're, we were just talking about men and swords off, can, <laughs> off uh, tape, and now you've got swords. Get us in back. Your get mind. us back. <laughs> <laughs> stay on. Stay on uh, topic. On topic. Here. Here. Yeah. Okay. And the next one, uh, which fit in well with the the farm, was that um, he put out "We Shall Overcome" the Seeger sessions, which I actually bought on iTunes because I always loved Pete Seeger. I played him his songs, you know, in my story times and oh, you know, at yeah. the library yeah. and, you know, if I had a hammer and little sack of sugar and all these cute, really great songs. And Who doesn't um, love Pete Seeger? I don't know. Unless he well, has an axe in his hand and is no, trying to cut McCarthy the power. McCarthy didn't love him, right? <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. The, the, he was a blacklisted during the 40s. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, McCarthy. I thought you said McCartney. I'm like, no, no. What? no uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah but nobody. A, who likes a, McCarthy? A dirty commie. Yeah, that yeah, they whatever, said. So they whatever. said. Yeah. But right, anyway. Right, right. Um, That's so, just, if you know the story of Pete Seeger, he's a, a very patriotic uh, Oh, man. yeah. And, uh, it's just, you know, one man's idea of patriotism. Well, if. You know, there are we a lot of different that. ideas of patriotism. That's right. We it's want not just country, a waving a fucking flag. So. We want our country to be as good as it can That's be. That's right. That's called patriotism. That, yeah, waving the flag doesn't just, just like do automatically our... make you a patriot. Right. Yeah. So. Get me he, back on topic again. Okay. He, he didn't know a lot about Pete Seeger growing up, but he started listening to him and was overwhelmed by the power of the songs. Now, all of the songs on this album aren't written by Pete Seeger. Some of them well, are folk songs. Most of what Pete Seeger did but he were made them traditional famous. songs and things. Yeah. 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 And um, so he got a group of musicians who came down and played at his farm, and they were all acoustic uh, accordion. Oh, yeah, fiddle. yeah. I pay, pay me my money down. Yeah, yeah, remember, yeah. Upright bass, banjo, washboard. And they all, you know, hung out in the living room and did this album together. And but they they only did um, they had done I guess just a few of them in 1997, but then they came back in mid 2000 and finished it off. And um, and they they were all recorded in uh, the first or second takes were put on the album, and it's a it's a rousing, good feeling kind of album. Um, and it, then he took the same group of musicians to the post-Katrina Jazz Fest, and they did a slowed-down version of The Saints Go Marching In, which was um, really a, a high point of his career, actually. But I don't have a recording of it. I don't think it was put on tape. But um, that was one of the shows that stands out in his memory because he was you know, they were able to go down there and contribute to people, you know, kind of lifting the spirits of people and honoring um, the the events that happened in Katrina with the flood and all that. What was that thing called? Hurricane. Tornado hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> so he, um, and then the next album, I believe, was an E Street Band album. It was called Magic. And, yeah, that um, is it. yeah, that is definitely an E Street uh, Bruce and the E Street Band. First yeah. one since since the rising. That's right. Mm-hmm. And this was his uh, kind of voicing his descent over the Iraq War and the Bush years. So while though while they were touring that album, Danny Federici came uh, uh, was diagnosed with melanoma. Yeah. And he, it was in the middle of all of his treatments, and he was greatly weakened by the cancer treatments. 
Um, and they had worked together for 35 years, well, a friend, being friends and then also working together. And on his last show on the tour that he, he wanted to do, Bruce asked him what he wanted to play. And he said he wanted to strap on the accordion and play Fourth of July, Asbury Park, also known as Sandy, because it's a lovely, you know, kind of uh, uh, beach accordion song and reminiscent of the boardwalk of their youth. All right. So this is a a live version of Fourth of July, Asbury Park. Um, Is it the last with Danny or yeah, it is the last. This is the last, and he. Um, it's a really sweet uh, video. You can catch it on YouTube. He's gonna be bugging me for a raise in a minute. You gotta cool some of that out. <laughs> Ready? We'll start. Say we'll start. Just Danny. Sandy, fireworks are hailing over a little Eden tonight. Force and light, and all those stoned out faces left stranded on this 4th of July. Down in town, the circuit's full with switchblade lovers, so fast, so shiny. Yeah, like I said, it's a really touching video to see Bruce and Danny front and center on the stage together and interacting with each other and knowing that it's the end, you know, that it's uh, Danny's time has come to an end on this earth. And um, another very dear and pivotal person in the E Street Band um, died shortly thereafter or a couple years later, and that was our Clarence, the big guy. Yeah. Um, while they were Gosh, it's, working, sometimes on, it's hard to think of an E Street band without. I know Clarence and Danny. I uh, know he was so. I mean, Clarence was just especially well, Clarence was I mean, front and center. Yeah. So you were just used to seeing him up there in his loud suits and you know stepping and dancing while he played the saxophone and doing funny little, you know acts with bruce i mean they were quite um quite a hammy couple there (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah i got to see it many times yeah while they were um they were working on working on a dream that album and that tour clarence's health started failing and um he had he just you know lived a hard he lived a his life hard and partied hard and worked hard and um and probably, you know, sounds like he didn't have the healthiest lifestyle. Um, I think, I believe his heart was failing at that point. Um, he had medical staff with him that came on the tour. And Bruce ha- ended up having to help him on and off the stage. But, you know, Clarence really wanted to be there. And Bruce really wanted him to be there. So 
they made it work. I mean, this was Clarence's life. He, uh, you know, oh, the yeah. E Street Band was everything mm -hmm. to him. Apparently, yeah. besides his uh, his many women friends, <laughs> yes. So, so the next album though that they um, they started working on together was Wrecking Ball, and in you know, which was a, a social, socially activist album, like most of his were, um, on capitalism and greed and, um, you know, what it did to the working class people. Um, but it wasn't super well received because Bruce's feeling is, you know, that people weren't looking to rock and roll for those kinds of things anymore by that time. And, you know, we're just kind no, of No, that's part of, part of our... Uh... Our great conceit is that, uh, you know, rock and roll in the 21st century doesn't have the cultural cachet that it did in the 20th century. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, during about that time in, in 2011, Clarence's health really um, plummeted. He he became numb, you know, his right hand became numb so he couldn't play anymore. And three days later, he had a massive stroke um, Bruce flew down, I believe it was in Florida, and um, he died three days after his stroke. But in the meantime, his band and family and friends came and gathered by his bedside to um, be with him and to kind of, you know, usher him into the other world. And Bruce, um, in particular, brought his guitar and sang the song Land of Hope and Dreams to him at his bedside, which I found very touching. And when he finally uh, slipped off into the out of this world, um, Bruce said, something timeless and beautiful and confounding just disappeared. So that was Bruce's, you know, uh, experience of Clarence's death. Um, he said he was going to miss the that story and myth where he and the big man stood side by side and busted the world. Well, let's play um, a, a little bit of uh, Land of Hope and Dreams uh, from uh, from Wrecking Ball. And I wanted to point out that um, that Bruce said that the sax solo on this particular recording, they pieced together from some of his live solos. Yeah. Mm -hmm and made sure that Clarence was represented on that on that song. have to figure out how to go on without Clarence. Right. Um, and this was tough. I mean, they needed, because, you know, the all the stuff they were touring with has... Sacks. You know, <laughs> sacks, things that people are... are Big sacks. They're expecting, <laughs> right. you know. They have to, you know, in this song, this is where the sax comes in. So, yeah. so, you know, he wanted 
a straight ahead rock and roll sax player and realizing that Clarence brought more than just his playing to the mix. And, you know, he auditioned a whole bunch of people, but right in front of him and under his nose was this um, young man named Jake, whose name last name happened to be Clemens as well, <laughs> because he was Clarence's nephew. I know. And he also played the saxophone. He had a great... He this has is a an great, amazing story. It's um, just... You know, physical resemblance to yeah. his uncle. And a similar build, and also very talented, and um, and but you know Bruce kind of um, I don't know he shied away from that because it seemed well, like such an yeah, obvious yeah it's pick. the obvious choice but yeah. uh, you know I I got the opportunity to talk to Mindy Bear uh, you know who's an amazing sax player uh, and she got uh, uh, let's say one of those auditions uh, uh, as well and played live uh, oh really with Bruce yeah oh. uh, and you know and I, I know it must have been like. You can't. You got to be asking yourself. Look, this can't really be. This kid can't. This 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 doesn't happen. Yeah, Clarence just, is one in a million. Yeah. And now his nephew. But but they rolled it out correctly. And that's right. Wow. And Bruce and Bruce, and Bruce was very careful about. Uh, you know, he he wanted to honor the, the band and himself and the fans and also Jake. You know, he doesn't want to put Jake in a situation yeah, where he's going to yeah, get, yeah, yeah. you know, all this negative publicity because people were very emotionally connected to Clarence, yeah. you know, the fans. Yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so he wanted to, um, you know, make sure that... Um, Jake was uh, had a connection to the music that he, you know, that he wasn't just doing it. You know, he wasn't just a hired gun. And so they wanted um, he, he put him back in the horn section at first because yeah. he didn't want people to feel like he was really pushing Jake and um, trying to replace Clarence. So they did it very nicely. And, and the, the audience really, um, you know, responded to Jake and it was a done deal. So now Jake Clemens is uh, part of the E Street Band. Yep. And after that, though, Bruce hit a big depression, another big depression after his 60th birthday. And, um, you know, obviously... Well, who doesn't go through that? These deaths. When and... you turn 60. Yep. Yeah. Well, I didn't. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yet. So, you know, uh, he, he obviously, there was some either learned or, or inherited gene from his father and... He um, was able to get through it, and his his wife, you know, insisted he get medical help and that he get, you know, the the medication that was going to help him, and he pulled out of it. So that was really great. Um, but you know, he 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 um, wraps up the book, you know, talking about his father, obviously, and I feel like I really felt like this whole book was his way of making sense of how, what his father meant to him in his life and his music and his career and, and being a father and a husband. And um, he's, you know, just spent his whole life trying to make sense of it and using his music to kind of take care of his shit rather than handing it down to his kids. And so that's kind of the main theme of this, of the book. It's like, how do so I it's a how to parent work book. through this so that I don't, leave my children the burdens of my mental illness or my you know unresolved issues and what does um, he have he has like five kids uh he has three three uh, kids bruce yeah yeah three kids 
Yeah, All right, just so like his really dad. this book was written for an audience of three. Yep, oh. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, the the song that he sings at the end of, uh, or towards the end of the Springsteen on Broadway uh, show is a song called My Father's House. And, um, you know, it just uh, brings this all to a close well I think. let's play a little of my father's house last night i dreamed that i was a child out where the pines grow wild and tall I was trying to make it home through the forest Before the darkness, darkness falls I heard the wind rustling through the trees And ghostly voices Wow. Well, what a life. I mean, uh, you know, kind of like it reminds, it reminds me a little of um, Keith Richards' uh, book um, in that uh, it's, you know, just it is what it is. And, you know, he's working out things. Bruce is working out things. Um, you know, Keith seems to be working out relationships with his uh, his kids. No, his, his, well, his kids and his partner uh, and all that and you know bruce is working out things with his dad here um you know it's just i'm so grateful that these folks are leaving this these documents um for us um so that we can comment on them to try to tell our story of the you know the full story of rock and roll and why this this art form was just so important even though it's not thought of at its time you know it's thought of as juvenile uh and uh superficial um you know just pure emotionalism uh it doesn't have any weight uh, on and on and on um and and that's just not the facts the 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 reality is is that this is the biggest art movement maybe ever i mean it's a global art movement that happens in real time uh, it's the first one just because it happens to show up at the, you know, at a, a particular moment uh, in human history. But I think the further we get away from, it, the more uh, obvious it becomes. Now with Bruce, you know, um, uh, it, look, the guy is the uh, the archetypal uh, American rock star. He has taken all the elements, put them together. Uh, to um, to to put this, you know, what what that means in into a singular uh, package um, uh, in his music and his persona, uh, and uh, you know, as he as he states uh, in the book, that's a, it's a it's a bit of a creation, um, but at the same time, I mean, that's America, you know, America is always about creation, uh, and uh, at, at least in its better parts. And now, you know, here we have, uh, you know, the man kind of giving you all the ingredients <laughs> on, yeah. uh, on, on on how that was done. So it's, he, it's he really, really awesome. He really does, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's not just a personal book. It's a, He does a lot of commentary on, um, you know, on why, like, why, why did this happen to me? 
uh, why did I get to be this big rock star? You know, and and the things he comments on are similar to what you've been commenting on about, you know, I was born at the right time. There was TV, there was radio, there was, you know, all this great music coming to a, a head. And, you know, some of us were lucky enough to catch the coattails and be able to make something out of it. Um, and that's not the situation right now. Uh, that was a special time and place. That, yeah, that for for was, music, for music. Yeah. I mean, there are other things, and you know, you know, I, I get asked, you know, well, if if not, you know, you know, the music. What's the what's the music of today? That's uh, you know as big as this, and um, and 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 while you know, there's always going to be music, and there's always good rock music to find. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. Uh, it's just it's not going to have the the cultural impact that it did, and music in general doesn't have the cultural impact um uh, uh that it did uh, other things uh do and and you know and because uh, uh you know there's so many fragmented opportunities for taste now that i don't think anything can get to be that all encompassing as to to be a national and or certainly a global uh you know phenomenon um uh, that that this particular music um, enjoyed in that latter half of the 20th century, of which Bruce is a huge, huge uh, part of it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what do you think of the book? You must have loved it. I did actually. I think we only we only talk about books that you really like. Yeah, anyway, so. I mean, you know, what's it's what's not to love? I mean, yeah. he goes on and on and on, but um, you know, in that storytelling way that he does, everything mm-hmm. is you know the best, the this, the that. It's he's a very you know, he's a very enthusiastic person. He has a way with words. He uses them. Lots of commas and adjectives and, and you know, the best this and, yeah. the, you know, he's he's just a good storyteller. Yeah. And um, Even though it's a bit of a tome, right? It's a... Oh, it is. And I would, I would recommend actually listening to it on audiobook. Um, I really enjoyed doing that and, you know, hearing his voice read it and... You know, I mean, when you read the book to yourself, you can imagine him because it's very much written. It just in his sounds voice. like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's just yeah, his yeah. just his way. He yeah. strings words together. Yeah. But it's it's really special to hear him. And you can do that, you know, on a long car ride, a very long car ride, I must say. <laughs> across yeah. the country. If you're going across the country. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, if you have a long commute and you want to listen to an hour every day. Um, yeah, that's that's the way I would suggest yeah. doing it. And I, I like I, I think you you experience where you, you would listen to it and then you would listen to the songs. And you yeah. Go back. Oh, so that's yeah. that's totally awesome. Yeah, so I love doing that. that. You yeah. know, while he's writing about a song and then you just, you know, on your phone, you just go from the book to Spotify and you find the song, you listen to it and then you flip back to the book again. Of course, don't do that while driving, people. <laughs> it could be dangerous. Well, we have uh, really dissected this, and, and this is another rather long episode of the Rock and Roll Librarian. Yes. Um, we've done a couple <laughs> of big ones, but uh, you know the, the the artists that we're talking about, uh, especially the last two, Tom Petty and 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 now Bruce. Uh, is just the catalog is just so thick. Yeah. Um, there's just no way around it. Uh, yeah. without they span so many decades. Yeah. And, and, and these songs are, are just, you know, they're, they're, they're just integral to the, the, the story of this person's life. So, right. Yeah. All right. So let's see. You think the best way to do this is on a cross country trip. Right. Uh, so I'm going out with a song that'll get everybody started. What's that? 
Thunder Road. Yeah, let's go. The screen door slams, Mary's dress waves Like a vision she dances across the porch as the radio plays Roy Orbison singing for the lonely Hey, that's me and I want you only Don't turn me home again, I just can't face myself to help right the wrongs of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. The Rock and Roll Librarian. Produced and hosted by Christian Swain. Co-host, Shelley Sorensen. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.